and gentlemen, boys and girls, and everybody in between. He's a South Texan poppy poet living that hashtag middle class gay life. It's Chibi. She's a little bit Selena, a little bit JLo, and a whole lot of Pisces. It's Rocky. And this is Words and Shit. The show where you get to know the person behind the poetry. Brought to you by Write Art Out. And we're back, Raquel. It's so good to see your wonderful face. Oh, it's so great to see you. Oh, my goodness. I, I know. know. Oh, my God. Um, for those like for those who don't know, I was scarfing down food. So I think she was like, <laughs> at me and trying to like time it perfectly. Or like, it's the last bite. Let me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm like, let me say hello to my friend, Raquel, as she finishes chewing. Uh, yeah. That is like definitely like friend goals, right? They're like, all right, let me see to make sure they're okay, right? I got you. I got you. You're so right. Um, you, you know, like last week, uh, we were without you because we were live in in Baltimore, um, at the Stonewall International Poetry Slam Festival, which was incredible. Um, getting to like link up with so many friends that we haven't seen in a long time or so many friends that like we met in a virtual space. And this is the first time I'm seeing mm-hmm. your whole body. Um, but it really made me realize the gravity, like I've already kind of known it, but it was further emphasized. It made me realize the gravity of the question, how are you doing? Mm. It's such a loaded question these days. It really is. Um, and so, like, I personally have tried to transition into how how's your day going so we can kind of, like, microdose the mm-hmm. amount of shit that we're all trying to process. But because I haven't seen you in a few weeks, I do want to know, how are you doing? It's important to check in with your friends. It is. It really, really is. Um, I'm doing okay, actually. Like, I am loving maybe like the space that my friends have created for me to be myself, to kind of love on me, to um, give me like amazing affirmations, which is what I need. I know, I mean, work is work, right? And it can be kind of draining, but to have that support system of friends who kind of remind you of how amazing and gorgeous and brilliant I am. Mm-hmm. Um, I was, for those who, again, don't know, like to be, and I also talk off screen and I was like my new favorite term that someone has told me is that I'm a short king and I'm like I love it I live for it I I embody that yes let me be a little short king Mm -hmm. how about you friend how's how's how are you doing it's 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 a lot it's a lot to process you know uh you and I were talking earlier there's just so much happening uh, mm-hmm. career transition, all sorts of, all sorts of things, imposter syndrome setting in. Like we all go through so many different, like, I feel like more so these days, so many different emotions in the span of like microseconds sometimes, yes. um, that it's important to take care of not just your physical health, but your mental health. I had my session with my therapist today. Thank you. Mm-hmm. God bless Deontay, uh, and the work he does. Um, because it's good to just have someone like, like you said, to have friends that help support and bring you up, but also to have someone that you can just kind of soundboard off of, right? That you can just express it all as a way to help process. Like he sits there and listens most of the time. He doesn't say a lot. And like, so helpful to just kind of like keep the mental health together so Mm -hmm. that if you take care of this, you can take care of the rest of this, right? Oh, and I'm all, I'm like, Friend, 
you're amazing. Okay. Let me tell you about your affirmation. No, so you're, amazing. you're amazing. Do you see you're this color coordination? Do you see how bright and beautiful you are? Your little smile just like brings up the, like, just brightens up my day. We're just going to manifest all the beautiful things, but, um, all, all this to say that I'm really excited to get into this conversation with our guest today because he yeah. very much head on tackles a lot of the subjects of mental health, you know, mm -hmm. uh, and, and taking care of oneself in that sense, uh, in emotional health, um, and not just like in his writing, but also in the advocacy work that he does uh, um, all over the place. So I can't get, I can't wait to get into conversation with our guest today, Patrick Roche is an award-winning poet, performer, mental health advocate, and Carly Rae Jepsen enthusiast from New Jersey. He has placed at numerous national and regional poetry slams and serves nationally as an ambassador for the JED Foundation, promoting mental and emotional health, suicide prevention, and substance abuse awareness. His solo stage show debuted in 2020 and was featured on Broadway World and selected for Dixon Place Hot Festival, the longest running festival of its kind, celebrating LGBTQ theater and art. His debut full-length collection of poetry, A Socially Acceptable Breakdown, was just released through Button Poetry, and his work has appeared on Button, Upworthy, BuzzFeed, The Huffington Post, NBC, LX, MSN, Beach Street Review, Gal Pals Present, Freezeray, Press, Voicemail Poems, and On His Mom's Fridge. His work explores mental health, grief, sexuality, body image, disordering, eating, Family, memory, love, joy, pop culture, and everything in between. Y'all, some of you are already using the comments section, but please throw some love in the comments section for our guest today. Patrick, welcome to the stream. Hello. Hey. Oh my gosh. This is a very bright and wonderful and beautiful little group to be a part of here. Oh, thank you. I know. I was just like so excited that how you entered right now. I was like, oh, look at the smile. Look at your hands. I love it. It's just great. You look amazing. That bio was everything. So I'm and that was the abridged version. <laughs> I was like, oh, she did some some on the fly or prepared editing that I was very fond of. Yeah. <laughs> And I'm just I'm just so grateful of the light that you are bringing into this space as well. So not just not just with your work, but your presence as well. So yes, thank you for oh, being here. Yeah, thank you for having me. No problem. Well, we usually start off our segment with uh, a little question because you're going to be sharing some intimate stuff. And just like we did a check in, we want to do a check in with you, Patrick. Yeah. So, how's your heart today, friend? How is it this today? Yesterday? I mean, yeah, yesterday, last month, this year, it could be whatever. And whatever. I mean, the yeah, the farther back you go, and the more you, try, <laughs> the more time you want to uh, incorporate into that question, gets a little, <laughs> little dicier for everybody. Uh, but overall, I, I think uh, I'm fortunate to say it's all it's it's all been going as well as you know could be hoped for in a in a lot of ways. Um, and then just uh, yeah, today's good. I got my uh, my COVID booster shot two days ago. So yesterday was very uh, side effect focused, <laughs> but nothing too too heavy. It just meant yesterday was a lot of resting. So mm. now today I'm I'm excited that I'm um, raring to go. Good. Well, props on that. Uh, we're glad you're feeling better and here with us today. Um, so before we dive into you know, deep, deep, heavy conversation. Uh, we like to start off with, with just a little teaser for people that are just gonna get to, starting to get to know you maybe um, with a segment that we call speed dating. 
So we're gonna ask you a series of questions and you feel free to answer as in-depthly or as concisely as you feel is necessary to justify your answers. So uh, first question, because as I was reading through the book, I was so surprised is not the right word, but it, it's in that element of how many times the word joy appeared mm -hmm. in the book. So I'm wondering, where do you find joy? Um, I would say in anything that, I would say anything that kind of cuts the, the strings that attach me to things that like pull me down mm. or that uh, take away from my presence in, in, in moments or in whatever. Um, so that, that could be a lot of things. It can be everything from a good meal to music, to video games, to my dog. Like it could be a lot of different things. Uh, but I think, I think most often I'm going to say bubble tea. <laughs> Love it. Love it. So do you like a lot of bubble, uh, or like the little, little, so I'm, I forget tapioca. tapioca I was like bubba tea. I was like, no, it's tapioca. Yeah. Do you, you fill it up to like the brim or like? Um, I get I get the you know the 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 standard amount of boba. I like the <laughs> I like the, the balance of the drink to the tapioca. Mm -hmm. You you and Josh Wynn need to start mm -hmm. a uh, a fan a stand club for boba tea. <laughs> I love it. I love I'll, I'll have to see though. I'm not sure, uh, you know, what some of his opinions are on some of the, the places. Might have to to get into whether his taste is. Are we starting controversy? Yes. <laughs> I think that I have a high caliber for my taste. Like, but like, can he match it? No, we'll go. Yeah, we'll go <laughs> try a place out, and he might be like, "Oh yeah, their taro is is real good." And I don't know. Oh Hopefully my god. We're starting tea over tea. Okay. <laughs> All right. Okay. So my, you know, my question is, um, you know, you reference about like pop culture and you really find joy in that. So what is your favorite pop culture line or C that you reference a lot? Ooh. Okay. Um, I am gonna say, uh, so either the, lines either any lines from carly ray jepson's emotion album uh, <laughs> as it has come up in poems and and been in the inspiration behind a number of pieces uh so i'll say that or um maybe i will say from all stars three yes of drag race, I will say, uh, well, fuck my drag. <laughs> Anytime something is like, you know, someone's like, oh, well, I got this thing. Or like, oh, I can. I'm like, oh, well, fuck my drag then. <laughs> the, uh, the incomparable Kennedy Davenport. Um, oh, I love it. That, that line is said far and wide yes. and often yeah. in these worlds. Um, all right. Well, my next question and my last question, uh, you mentioned food earlier. I asked this of all my guests. What is your favorite food dish to eat? Um, I'll say a good chicken pot pie. Uh, mm. So you get a, you know, a good mix of stuff in it. Um, and especially 
if it includes like a little bit of the creaminess of like an actual like bechamel in there, some actual like cream and stuff. yeah, it gets yeah. a little, it gets to be a little decadent then, but we'll go with that, I think. Or the, uh, the croque monsieur sandwich at the Beauty and the Beast be our guest restaurant in Disney World. <laughs> wow, so specific. I love this, Patrick. You're like, no, if you're going to ask me questions, I'm going to let you know where the best of that. I was not prepared for these. I just have, I just know I'm, I am confident and sure. Wow. I love it. I love it. Note to self. <laughs> oh, Visit. Yes. Restaurant. Uh, okay. Okay. I know. I'm like taking notes down. All right, then. So my, our last question, um, and I'm going to, Let's see. My last question is, what is your current obsession? Ooh. Let's see. Um, I think it is probably Mario Party Superstars. Wow. I'm like getting to, you know reacquaint myself with with that world and and scream and yell and get mad at everything that is just you know up to chance and luck and frustrating and blaming little like computer generated characters for all of my difficulties and problems <laughs> i love it i love it i love it <laughs> they are truly the source of all evil in this world they are. <laughs> I think it's, a, it's a it's as far as outlets go for for blaming frustration there are worse you could choose. I think that's healthy. That's very healthy. Mm -hmm. <laughs> well, this has just been just the tip of the iceberg of that, which is Patrick Roach. Um, we're definitely going to get into deeper conversation in a moment. Uh, audience members, some of you have already used the comment section. We do the show live for a reason. So please be part of the conversation. Show some love, interact, mm -hmm. even ask your questions, and we'll relay them over to Patrick. You know, we want you to be part of the conversation. Uh, but before we dive into it, uh, we want to kick it off the way we always do. If you can, please just bless us with a poem. Okay. Um, I know we've passed uh, the official, you know, Halloween days and, and season, but this is still very much uh, recently in my in my head. So I think I'll I'll start with uh, a piece that came out of uh, my my love for the you know major Halloween Halloween film and and pop culture moment so I love hocus pocus right like the I always have the the 90s Halloween movie with Bette Midler Sarah Jessica Parker and Kathy Najimy as Salem witches as a child watching the Sanderson sisters consume their victims everyone would joke that, I would never have to worry about that. The joke being that no one would want to eat me because I'm too thin. I resisted the urge to say, oh, oh, oh my God. Okay, um, so like the witches weren't actually eating anything. They were just sucking the energy out of children to maintain their youth. Like, were you paying attention at all? Instead, I laughed proud that someone noticed how little space I could take up. I quickly learned that no one prods too much when you're all magic and party trick. Watch how much I can suck in my stomach. You can count every one of my ribs and my vertebrae. I bet you can fit your hand around my whole arm. This body, the best show in town. 
it's so easy to tell someone you forgot to eat breakfast if you word it the right way. I've learned every trick, how to hide the dark magic and only show the cape and confetti. Watch me regurgitate handkerchief after handkerchief. Watch me swallow fire and swords and nothing else. I weighed myself every day, conjured excuses for meals, buried food in the garbage can, down the drain, in the napkin. The sleight of hand was the hardest part to master. I learned the telltale signs of disordered eating as a teenager, but as far as I could tell, boys don't get that kind of sick. We didn't have a name for that. Uh, but haven't people always been mystified by the nameless, the unknown, what we don't understand? Haven't we always called that magic? So what is more witchcraft than the way this body keeps moving forward even when I put nothing into it, even when my hair falls out in the shower, even when this body tells me every day it is dying but trudges still? How should I name this? This dead thing I call a body or body I call a dead thing buried day after day. If I start robbing my own grave, begin a slow resurrection, slice into the chicken breast instead of my silhouette and swallow it all. Does that count? Have I started shoveling out the soil yet? Would it make any difference? What do you call a body that can't hold anything, not even itself, but still tries to live? A rebirth, undead, is it a, a phoenix or just trying to make a zombie walk with the living? I tried eating regularly. I always gave up after a few days. I assumed this body was a lost cause, too much torch and rot, decaying taxidermy mounted on the wall, or rusted fossil ready for museum, or morgue, or freak show. Step right up. Keep your eyes peeled. You just might witness the greatest disappearing act you have ever seen. Look, it's happening right now. Wow. wow. I know. I think it's wow. Um, <laughs> every time. No, I know. Every time. I know. Every time I'm just like, they blow me away. You really, this, that was a great poem. I was already like, all right, hocus pocus, let's go. And then he just went into like such a very serious topic. Right. And, um, you know, even though you kind of, kind of trying to still maintain like the lightness of it. Um, it's still a topic that we, you know, I've actually I don't think I've ever talked about like an eating disorder or specifically for men or for boys, right? Um, that's always usually just designated for uh, more femme bodies, right? Or, or women or young girls. Um, so yeah, that is, that is, you know, thank you for sharing. Thank you. Um, for bringing up that topic, I was, you know, Dean usually news like pop culture in a way to, um, you know, you all, I think you put pop culture in a lot of your writing that almost like an entry point to heavier subjects. So let's, you know, let's talk about that, you know, um, why and, and talk about some of the serious subjects that you talk about. Yeah. Yeah. So there's a couple of reasons I operate uh, with <laughs> pop culture a lot. Uh, one is, thinking about the audience, it's an easier, more accessible, maybe less intimidating entry point into a topic that otherwise might seem really difficult, really uh, maybe stigmatized, mm -hmm. whether that's mental health, uh, whether that is suicidality, uh, substance use or abuse, 
body image, queer identity, grief, anything like that. Uh, those topics can be very difficult to, to kind of swallow for folks who aren't really, uh, who aren't really used to grappling with them or discussing them super openly. Mm -hmm. And starting with something that's familiar, that is accessible, that mm -hmm. is maybe unassuming and a little bit more innocent, uh, as well as something that is concrete, giving them kind of a, a really clear reference point to tackle something that otherwise might seem really just big and amorphous and, and hard to pin down, uh, something like a concept of mental health or of a certain uh, issue. I find that pop culture can help a lot with that. Uh, it also helps me as a writer. Uh, it gives me a fun exercise in some ways to just yeah. start writing around something that you know maybe I'm really interested in and that brings me a lot of joy or a lot of excitement. Uh, and it also allows me to tackle a subject from an unexpected angle and, and explore aspects of it that maybe I didn't even realize were there. Uh, if I have a, an idea like, oh, I want to write about Stitch from Lilo and Stitch and I want to write it, okay, let me see, maybe I can do something with mental health. And then it's like, as you start exploring what was just this small idea, suddenly you, you dig deeper and deeper and you find more connections than you even realize were there. And that's a lot of fun too. Um, and then finally, similarly to the uh, the idea of making it approachable for uh, for an audience, I found that especially early on in my writing career, for me, writing through a lens of pop culture or maybe through a character or a persona or something like that, it allowed me a little bit of distancing from the topic. Um, mm -hmm rather than feeling like I was digging so deeply into my own personal experiences and trauma and whatever it may be um, in a way that could be scary and uh, and maybe just un unclear to me. Maybe it was things that I hadn't processed fully um, or didn't know how to articulate or didn't have the vocabulary for. Giving myself that window and that lens also allowed me to like take a little bit of a step back from myself even, mm -hmm. and and have a little bit clearer of, of a, an idea to crystallize mm -hmm. that, uh, that process around. There is so much in this answer to unpack. Because <laughs> <laughs> um, I think, yeah, you definitely, you, you hit on something there in that last point where it's like, oftentimes as writers, we sometimes have to disconnect ourselves from the situation in order to be able mm -hmm. to like actually mm -hmm write about like process write about the situation uh in a much clearer way rather than being muddled in the middle of all mm -hmm. of this uh but then you also mentioned the idea of exploration right i think a lot of writing is discovery you discover mm -hmm. things along your journey of writing uh and so you mentioned about like how like you take an you take an idea and how can i connect this pop cultural idea to this much deeper subject i'm just curious what has been like the the connection or the discovery that I guess maybe most surprised you that you were like, Oh my God, this just happened. Uh -huh. Like for you and your writing that you made these connections that just came through the process. Um, 
I think in a kind of big picture way, I think the thing that surprised me most and that I then found was really useful was making these connections through, you know, something that's maybe very light or unexpected in pop culture to something that maybe was heavy uh, or difficult to process uh, was the way that it kind of forced me to make space for the light or the funny or the the joyful in the same breath as the heavy mm -hmm. um, and realizing that those things can coexist or can speak to each other or can uh, inform each other and that they not only do in maybe this poem that I'm writing, but that they very much do in real life, even when you're going through something super difficult or heavy, there's often moments of humor or laughter even that come up. Uh, you know, whether that's, oh, you're at a funeral and then something happens that reminds you of a joke that somebody said when they were alive. And it's uh, just really realizing the kind of dynamic uh, and the and the variety in experiences, even the ones that seem kind of heavy. Uh, and then, yes, yeah, specifically, I think uh, deciding that I wanted to write a Kermit the Frog poem and then realizing, oh, I'm getting into a lot of stuff about like processing the death of my grandparents <laughs> unexpectedly. <laughs> uh, that was maybe the, the one that was most surprising to me. Hmm. Wow. Yeah, because you would never think again because you just kind of set up even for the poem that you just you know recited right now it's it's light you kind of draws in and we're just like we're already familiar like hocus pocus yes as a child right so the brilliance of like your last poem is like again eating disorders i always related to like high school or middle mm -hmm. school right so you're bringing us back into this young age and it's like okay we're keeping it light and fun but at the same time, we're going to talk about serious topics. So I can just imagine, like, talking about Kermit the Frog and just be, like, in tears, like, Kermit the Frog, yes. I love it. I love it. Uh, you know, again, I think a lot of poets think that when we talk about very serious issues, even trauma um, or just, you know, um, just really hard life experience that it always has to be sad or serious. Um, and it can be those things. Um, but it's okay to to talk about like the experience and, um, you know, make light of it or just like observe from outside that, you know, you've learned from it and you can kind of look back and see and be kind to yourself. And yes. I think that's what your poems are about. They're to be kind to yourself. Um, so let's actually... Um, Let's talk about, you know, since we're talking about your poems still, like, let's talk about the book. Some of the poems in there were written years ago. Yeah. Um, so what was the process like of putting this together? It was trying to really uh, honor my, you know, journey as a writer uh, mm. and, and everything that I've explored and grappled with. And sometimes that meant, yeah, looking back at experiences and writing about them with maybe the the benefit or from the uh from the perspective of time and whatnot uh but that also meant sometimes yeah including things that were written at the time that i was going through a certain experience which means sometimes it was years ago and also just because it was like my first full-length collection i was like okay yeah i'm gonna include these things that kind of make up my whole uh 
poetic journey as a writer up until this point. But then kind of grappling or, or tackling the, uh, the, the challenge of how do you arrange this? What, what, what do you include? What do you not include? Uh, then it kind of came down to what is the, the arc that I'm trying to craft? What is the journey that I want to create and maybe, you know, take a reader on and take myself on? So then it became a lot more intentional of like, I want to start acknowledging certain issues or uh, experiences, but actively take on a role of like steering my story. No. Uh, so that was a unintentional way of kind of starting out the collection and then getting through some ideas initially of like escapism and trying to change things or rewrite things or whatnot. And then moving forward to just confronting and addressing things directly and processing them. And then finally moving toward a direction of acceptance, growth, and optimism and, and forward uh, trajectory. So yeah, it was, it was a lot of just looking at what I had written in the past and then writing a lot of new stuff and trying to, to create that kind of an arc. Uh, yeah, you, you definitely take us on a journey in this book, <laughs> uh, which, which I very much uh, appreciate. I will say I, I, I wanted the Babadook poem in here, but it's, I, <laughs> it's okay. We'll get that somewhere, somewhere down the line. Cause like you said, this is just your first book. Um, but I really appreciated the, the, the journey that happens in the book. And then the other thing I really appreciated, uh, can we just talk about form? Like wow. these contrapuntals that you have in here, the huzzle, like I was, I, the second poem is a contrapuntal. Yes. And I think like I threw the book, I threw <laughs> the book across the room after reading it. So like, you know, as someone that like you, at least as far as I'm aware, you know, your, your background is kind of through spoken word and slang, right? Started in Cub C uh, and all of that. Um, so how does, as someone who is also kind of navigating that transition from stage to page, uh, how did you arrive on these? You know, like what was what was your, your process to like getting into these very, very tight forms? You have a sonnet in there also. Um, you know, like what what is that like of just like embracing poetic forms and what it can do to like liberate the writer? Some of it kind of came out of like my feeling of whether it was actually uh, realistic or not, um, but my my own feeling of like stagnation of feeling like oh maybe mm -hmm. I'm I'm am I getting too. Uh, too predictable? Am I getting too repetitive in my in my spoken word? Am I, you know, not exploring and not growing enough, which may or may not have been true. I, I don't. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, so be, for me, it was thinking, I want to challenge myself as a writer, I want to explore and grow and push my own boundaries. And given that I very much started in spoken word, I just kind of fell into poetry, uh, and almost immediately was then uh, swept away in the the public reading of it. Um, because of that, challenging myself really meant sitting down and intentionally writing 
oftentimes through either prompts of just like words or topics or prompts of forms or uh, or types of poems. So I went through a, a whole period where I wrote a lot of odes because I felt like, mm -hmm. oh, I'm doing all these spoken word and slam uh, pieces that feel heavy to me and I want to actively change my uh, my mindset and my approach to writing and, and intentionally write positive things or things that are uplifting or at least um, have a positive and optimistic uh, approach to them. Mm -hmm. And then sometimes that meant I don't really approach things on the page. I don't know how, even, I never even really arrange it or format it for the page or anything like that. Let me try to work with some form. So it, it kind of came out of an intentional exercise for myself. And I liked the idea of contrapuntals and decided to try them specifically. Uh, and I found that for whatever reason, they came relatively naturally to me. Um, and I figured, okay, let me, let me go down this route. And I went through that exercise with a couple different uh, reference points. Usually a, for one piece of the, the contrapuntal, a figure from myth or scripture or something uh, classical or, uh, or ancient or whatever. Um, and then the other part, stuff from Island Life and then seeing how they informed each other. Uh, and that ended up being, yeah, a fun ex exercise to, mm. to challenge myself with and, and really dive into form. Well, they are executed very, very well. Um, I've very much enjoyed them because it's not something that is necessarily easy to do. And then when you see it just kind of marry itself uh, within itself, it was, it was a joy to read. Um, I think this is a good transition to maybe another poem. Don't feel like you have to read the contrapuntals. Read whatever you want. Uh, but yeah, can you give us another poem? Um, sure. Um, I'll do this one uh, that came out of another kind of just intentional exercise or, or prompt for myself, which was, you know, trying to explore a little bit or reacquaint myself a little bit with some of my complicated back uh, background and experiences with religion. Um, so I posed the question to myself of, if you were the patron saint of something in my, my Catholic uh, background, uh, what would that thing be? Or what would you be the patron saint of? And it also was heavily inspired by or influenced by um, Jean Ann Burley, who's one of my favorite writers of all time. Uh, so this is canonization after Jean Amberley's brawler. Saint of the Meyer brain, saint of lost serotonin, of liquid neuron, of pills and their chorus of side effects, saint of a chorus, of singing the stigma into quiet submission, saint of the quiet anxiety, of the off-brand panic attack, saint of attacking, of the bobcat making a claw-stricken den out of your chest and of the territorial fight to reclaim a home from a predator, saint of the cold territory of home, saint of the warm territory of desire, of queer substance, of kissing straight boys, of acting straight, of being a bad actor, saint of bad habits and good movement of hands, saint of hands, saint of torn red cuticles and cracking knuckles when nervous, saint of red, Saint of Maroon, 
of burgundy. Saint of knowing burgundy is your best color. Saint of turning red. Saint of seeing red. Saint of seeing yourself as anything but yourself. Saint of someone else. Saint of self-discovery, of the self, of the good selfishness. Saint of eating the last cookie. Saint of the secret way in, of the hopeless meal, the lost cause of anorexia. Saint of nutritionist appointments. Saint of chocolate milk and protein, of the steady expanse of gut. Saint of the convex, of no more valley and no more sharp and no more lack. Saint of more, of second helping. Saint of seeking help, of seeking light, of seeking shade. Saint of the wallet emptied at the drag show. Saint of the sadness emptied from the body. Saint of the not empty body, of full stomach, of the brain full of crying and of joy. Saint of the brain full of multitudes. Saint of the blessing of full emotion and full love. Saint of full, saint of yes, saint of no. Saint of when I say so, saint of naming the want, saint of wanting and no shame, saint of the guilty pleasure and the pleasure with no guilt, saint of pleasure and the pleasing, saint of please, time and always, always saint of please, every time. Mm. Wow. wow. <laughs> No, because I just never like would think about writing myself as a patron saint of anything, and it's hilarious because I feel not hilarious, but I think I feel like within this last week or two, um, my idea or conversations around religion and my spirituality have uh, have have been in question. Right? I also too came. I tell people like I was raised Catholic, and they're like, "But are you still Catholic?" I was like, "I said what I said." <laughs> Raised Catholic. <laughs> I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a recovering Catholic. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, and I think that one, your poem, really, Patrick, you're like really resonated with me because I really love San, San Antonio, right? San Antonio, yeah. which is the patron saint of lost things. And I always feel like going to that patron saint to find myself and that, you know, your poem is literally like, no, I can be the patron saint of my own self. And mm -hmm have our inner reflection which i think was absolutely brilliant and beautiful so thank you so much for sharing um and so let's talk about uh you know i think you do you know you do such a great um way of promoting mental and emotional health right um why specifically do you surround your poems or format your poems with that topic in mind um and i guess what um in what community are you talking to a specific audience or a certain community when you talk about mental health and emotional health? So initially it was that I approached and, and, and tackled mental health in my poems just for myself. Uh, <laughs> I was trying to process my own uh, experiences with depression and anxiety and uh, and found that working through them in writing. And then after getting over the kind of initial fear of sharing and reading them in, uh, in public, once I did that, I also found a surprising amount of healing from that, um, just personally. But the thing that really surprised me was the amount of connection that I found when doing that um, with an audience with a reader with uh you know random people that i'd never met and then also with people that i'd known for years mm -hmm. uh and i found that openly honestly 
and vulnerably discussing certain topics, in this case, mental health, uh, really opened up a, a lot of opportunity for connection and communication with people mm -hmm. on a really meaningful, like personal level, uh, and opened up the possibility for much more fruitful and meaningful conversations and, uh, and friendships and relationships. And one of the main things about mental health that I really try to fight is the idea of the shame and the stigma that surrounds it. So I found that directly tackling those issues not only helped me personally, but also, and especially as I've kind of moved forward with my writing and been more intentional in this way, it's become a kind of tool or weapon to use against that stigma to try to dismantle the shame and the stigma around mental health and also around a host of other topics um, hmm. to, to really bring those topics into the forefront, into the light, out of this sense of taboo. Um, because as you look into like statistics and things and whatever, you find that as much as there are tons of people that experience, for example, issues of depression or anxiety, only X percent, depending on what population you look at, actually reach out for help. And a lot, a, a big contributing factor for that is a feeling of shame or a feeling of, uh, of kind of fear or, or judgment. Uh, and yeah, yeah so I've, I've decided to try to use my writing, my personal narrative, uh, and the, the kind of goal of sharing all of that for me has largely been to open up dialogue and conversation and kind of rip the bandaid off to, to get that out of the way, open up the conversation and hopefully move forward. And, and for that yes. reason, it's uh, yeah. targeted yeah, toward people who maybe are uncomfortable with or around or haven't uh, ever openly discussed these topics um, and maybe find them to be uncomfortable or taboo mm -hmm. to try to challenge that idea a little bit, as well as to connect with people who have experienced similar things or things that they have felt similarly ashamed about um, to make that connection and hopefully therefore reduce that shame. Yeah, because yeah. you're you're very honest and and vulnerable uh, in your work, and and pretty explicit about you know mm -hmm. the, the kind of challenges mm -hmm. that that you have had to go through, uh, not just in your your own uh, mental and emotional mm -hmm. health, but in even like talking about your mental and emotional mm -hmm. health and going through it, and in that vulnerability, uh, it almost not it almost it does give readers and audiences permission to kind of express their own you know sense. And so then it has me wondering, like, who gave you permission? Like, where did you find the permission to to tap into these things? Uh, <laughs> um, some of that was, you know, through a lot of uh, work in therapy. Uh, but some Crazy. of it was just uh, kind of getting thrown into it or falling into it. Uh, and maybe out of just complete grasping for, for any sort of uh, line desperately. Um, so yeah, at first it was just writing to try to cope and process and articulate things that I was having a lot of trouble 
coping with and processing and articulating. Uh, and then, yeah, one of my friends in college just like found out that I was writing poems and saw, you know, that I had a poem written on like my desk in my room and she grabbed it, ran out and then came back after she read it. And she was like, okay. So I looked up, there's an open mic. <laughs> um, and yeah, so I kind of got strong armed into it in some ways <laughs> and found the, the value in it uh, on, a, on a kind of healing level. Um, but no, I, I really struggled a lot even when I was writing uh, to be that vulnerable and that open because I didn't feel like, yeah, it was appropriate or acceptable. Um, so some of that was through getting kind of, uh, forced into it a little bit or, or, or strongly encouraged. Um, but, but largely I would say some through therapy and then also a lot through finding a community of writers. Um, so shortly after, you know, doing an open mic in college, then I crossed paths with the new spoken word group on campus and getting involved with that and feeling a lot of like support from a group of people, uh, with my writing and, and feeling that sense of like, community and validation mm. a lot with uh, with making me feel comfortable. Lord bless the bossy friends. I think right. we all have had someone that is <laughs> do something where we were like, I'm not sure. And then, uh, yeah, <laughs> we're come out the better for it. No, for real. I think because your best friends are like the the ones that really see you for who you are, especially mm. when you're down and you're just, they're like, what are you talking about? Why would you be so mean to yourself? Like, I got you. Like, why are you are a treasure to this world? An absolute delight. Mm -hmm. um, no, I, I kind of want to go back to, you know, you know, you do talk about these heavier topics and um, and you're it's so relatable to so many people. And you, again, you couple it with pop culture. I want to know, like, is there a specific poem that people just like gravitate towards and just like this is my favorite poem or you've gotten the most um, praises for because of it? Um, I mean, just based on like good fortune of sharing and whatnot um mm -hmm. the, the one piece that i think is, i've gotten the most uh reaction from was probably was i mean i guess definitely was 21 um mm -hmm. which addressed my uh my experience and my family's experience with my father's death and exploring mm -hmm. that backwards uh in time uh and that uh yeah for just strangers was you know uh, a very surprising amount of uh warm reception uh and then even from folks that i had known for years it was a um a really impactful moment of opening up a lot of dialogue around like, oh, wow, I guess, yeah, we really don't actually know like what a lot of people are dealing with uh, yeah. behind the scenes, in their families, whatever. Um, but I think, um, I don't know, it's hard for me to like say, oh, people have responded and, and really uh, <laughs> uh, have really just reacted in a certain way to any of my work. Um, but I, I think I've gotten uh, some, some, very uh i've been very grateful for the reception to 
a couple of the pieces around mental health, especially um, there's a piece mm -hmm. couples therapy that I wrote early on in college um, and it explores my experience with depression, mm -hmm. the kind of personification and extended metaphor of a romantic partner. Um, mm -hmm. And I just, I remember one time performing that poem and having a random person in the audience say that they felt like they had a, an entirely new and and really the first time that they had a sense of maybe understanding of something that their uh, their child was going through that they had had a hard time understanding and uh, and they felt like it was a way of articulating it and making it understandable, making it accessible, and still uh, and still kind of move them. Uh, so that was, that's one of the things that kind of stuck out to me a lot and was one of the first times that I had the the thought of poetry and spoken word, uh, especially about certain topics like mental health, can be a really, really positive tool for, for change. Yeah. Yeah. And both of those pieces, 21 and Couples Therapy, are brilliantly crafted pieces uh, and ridiculously uh, vulnerable and open. And I feel like in this whole conversation, this has been the point where like you've kind of been kind of the shyest to talk about, like what your successes have been like. Own, own them, friend, because uh, they are uh, really brilliant pieces out there that have done a lot for, for people uh, who've heard them, who can connect to them who no longer feel maybe like they were the only ones experiencing these sort of things. Uh, so a big, big, uh, a big thank you and and props to you on, yes. on just like, like you said, just kind of like opening the door for conversation mm -hmm. about these subjects that are really hard to talk about. So uh, you, you have a lot to be proud of there. Mm -hmm. uh, don't, don't shy away from that. Um, but outside of, outside of just your, your work in your writing, not just in the book, but you do a lot of advocacy for, for mental health, suicide prevention outside of the poetry world. Uh, can you talk about some of the things that you do and, and, and the, and the value that, that they, that they have in this world? Yeah. So I've, I've tried to use my, my poetry as a, uh, a vehicle to approach these broader social issues or, or trends around mental health in, in particular. Uh, so I've partnered with a couple different organizations over the years. Uh, the first one that I really got involved with and, and kind of one of the most uh, significant ones was the Jed Foundation, which was started by um, a couple, Bill and Donna Seitao, um, two parents who lost their son Jed to suicide. And they, in looking through all the research that they could to try to answer a lot of the, the unanswered questions that they had around um, everything that they experienced, uh, found just how prominent, how, uh, how deep rooted issues of, or experiences with mental illness, depression, anxiety, suicidal ideation um, and substance abuse, how, just how prevalent that was in especially young adults, college students um, in particular, and then they've expanded as well to, to high school students. So yeah, so I've done a lot of work with the Jed Foundation. Uh, they've done a series of events of like an evening of storytelling where they have folks come and, and speak, do some personal 
autobiographical monologues or share mm -hmm. poems uh, with the goal of sharing experiences around mental health and fighting some of the stigma there. Mm -hmm. uh, and then also pairing that with real scientifically backed uh, plans and, uh, and approaches, you know, they'll partner with campuses for years on revamping their mental health programming, their counseling services, things like that to make them as useful, as impactful, as accessible uh, as possible to the students and really helping them. Uh, and then, yeah, and then I've done some other work as well with some organizations like uh, just recently I did a uh, one of my first live gigs back in person post COVID was a uh, was at um, Brooklyn Bowl with Sound Mind, uh, which is an organization that works especially with artists and musicians. Um, and then they also brought me in a couple of times as a a poet uh, to tackle the issues of mental health uh, and shine a, a spotlight on them, uh, especially as they pertain to folks in the arts and in, in creative uh, pursuits. Uh, this so that's also been really, uh, really meaningful for me to, <laughs> to be and rewarding for me to be involved with. But yeah, I found that the the way that I can use my poetry uh, as a way as a means to connect with audiences, um, and then from that point of connection, build out to addressing some broader trends of mm. mental mm. health, um, substance abuse, et cetera. Uh, I found that to be useful and rewarding. Uh, and it lets me also incorporate, I, I had a background in education as well. I had planned to be a teacher and then <laughs> between mental breakdown and getting swept off in poetry, uh, I uh -huh. ended up shifting that plan. But I feel like I can also kind of incorporate some of my, my passion for education by working with students and, you know, maybe leading workshops or, or talks or things like that as well. That's definitely the, the work you do is, is so it's so valuable, you know, mm -hmm. like, like, you can't put, you know, a number on it, like, uh, you're obviously out there impacting lives uh, in such a great way um, and helping people that maybe are going through some of the things that you've personally gone through or through other things that they just don't know how to articulate. Right. So um, props, mm -hmm. props to that and the work you do. Um, I have one more question. Yeah. Go, you, go, go, go. Because yeah, I know, because, <laughs> um, you know, I know that um, we're closing and, and, you know, we're almost, we're almost done with our, our session. I know it's, it's been great to have questions. you. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, we're on the talk of like, you know, you had a, a passion to like educate and I guess for, and poetry in itself is educating others regardless mm -hmm. of how you see it, right? Um, and I know that there's this story that also of someone who like inspires and educates, aka the Dalai Lama, <laughs> right? <laughs> and Inquiring minds want to know. <laughs> We want to know what is the story you have with the Dalai Lama? So um, during college, about halfway through college, I started working uh, and continued after college as well. I started, I was working part-time for a few years after college too, um, 
doing conference and event services on campus, which could mean everything from, you know, helping a, a department in on campus put on a, you know, reception for something mm -hmm. um, to having children's sports camps over the summer or whatever, mm -hmm. to having like big academic summits and, and research symposiums. Uh, and it also meant that when there would be some big speakers coming to campus, sometimes we would be called on to to help facilitate the planning of that and the logistics of that. Um, so on one instance, uh, the current Dalai Lama came to speak to, to students. I, I think he was probably speaking to a number of different colleges um, and he came through ours. Uh, and, you know, a lot of it was just arranging some of the, the logistics, getting students where they needed to be, that type of thing. Um, and really the, the office of religious life on campus was more hands-on with a lot of it. Um, and, you know, he spoke to students in a big lecture type thing, um, and told us all about, you know, how he hides his M&Ms in his sleeves and <laughs> uh, <laughs> have a, uh, a snack. And some student asked him the, uh, what the you know, key to happiness was or the, or, uh, and he, I think just said sex and money and then laughed to himself. <laughs> <laughs> um, he likes to just make sarcastic comments and laugh to himself. But then uh, there was a smaller meeting that he had with a couple students who were heavily involved in religious life on campus. And they were gonna have like an in-depth kind of philosophical discussion and talk um, that I think was very fruitful for them. Um, but that meant that only certain people could come into this event. Um, and for whatever reason, I was stationed at the door for that, <laughs> which meant that uh, we joked that I was the, the bouncer for the Dalai Lama and people's uh, credentials as they came in. I did have someone from like the State Department kind of a few steps back just in case anyone wanted to try anything, uh, anything a little questionable, but apparently you know i was i was imposing enough that i i kept enough order uh but yeah i mean i i mostly just held the door and made sure people had the badges that they needed to have but i mean important stuff important stuff that's hilarious absolutely absolutely <laughs> you know and just that encounter uh with with the dalai lama who is such a presence in this world uh but i love that well i i just have one more question um because one of the last poems in your book is everything my brain knows it learned from drag. Yes. <laughs> is this true though? <laughs> Talk a little bit about that. Uh, the last few years, really. Um, I mean, it, beyond, you know, like really loving drag uh, from afar, I feel like, uh, you know, through TV shows, through your drag races and your what have yous. Um, but then the last few years, I feel like uh, with my boyfriend, he you know, was like, wait, why haven't you ever been to a, a live show? Or why haven't we gone to a live show or anything like that? And then we really kind of quickly fell in love with the local drag community in New York. I would really encourage people to, to go explore, enjoy, and really become a part of the local drag scenes wherever they are. Um, we just really felt, felt like 
one, these people are some of the most incredible performers and artists that we've ever seen uh, between dancing and singing and whatnot, but also just for creating like a community and a space to feel, you know, happy as queer mm -hmm. and trans folks and to explore gender and what have you. Um, and then, yeah, we've gotten lucky enough to like befriend a number of these performers. Uh, I have folks on my wall behind me that are some of our <laughs> close friends, Katrina Lovelace, Hibiscus, I need a D. Uh, and yeah, and then, uh, you know, I've never uh, done a number, I, I will say, <laughs> but, uh, but through some uh, exploration, uh, for example, even for like my, uh, for my stage show that I did like right before COVID dropped, uh, some of that involved some uh, multimedia skits where I was interacting with myself on video, like myself live on stage was interacting with pre-recorded video. And in one of those, you know, I'm playing a therapist and I'm in, you know, full, I got the wig, I got the, the makeup, I got the, yeah, it's, it's a whole production. Uh, so, yeah, I decided to explore uh, some of that, not just uh, in person, but also in my writing then as well, and uh, mm. and found some connections with my uh, my mental health and just my my overall approach mm. to life. Love it, love it. Well, as 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 Mama Ru would say, yeah. "You're born naked, and the rest is drag." Right. <laughs> uh, well. Thank you so much for this conversation, this very, very open, honest, uh, and, and, and moving conversation, getting to know you a little bit more um, and, and, get, and sharing your work with us. Uh, if we can just ask you uh, to share one more poem, by no means feel <laughs> compelled to share the poem we just talked about. You know, make them buy the book and read yeah. it. Uh, that one involves some, uh, <laughs> some, some movement that I don't know if my, my downstairs neighbors would appreciate. Uh, so, but I think I will do a, a poem that uh, has meant like maybe the most to me uh, in a lot of ways because it was, as I mentioned, it, 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 it I think just encapsulates a lot that we've talked about and a lot of uh, the intentional things that I've tried to do with my writing uh, in terms of being an ode, pulling from pop culture, trying to tackle mental health and queer identity, but also actively steer that in a, in a positive way. Uh, and yeah, it just, it, it marked a, a big change in my approach to writing and I think to life. And it was a change that was very useful for me and, and meant a lot. So it starts with a quote from my favorite writer, actually. Um, Cause you make me feel like I could be driving you all night and I'll find your lips in the street lights. I wanna be there with you. Carly Rae Jepsen from her song, Run Away With Me. Ode to street lights after Carly Rae Jepsen. Because who among us hasn't found a lover's lips to be a gentle glow parting all shadow in the kiss of the December city, respite from cement and iron and night, or in the soft rebellion of sex in a train station parking lot, awkward fumbling over seatbelts and suburban sweat, the streetlights, constant heat of defiance, shower of spotlights, slow dance silhouette, the streetlights, showcase spectacle of my boyfriend and me making a firework dance in our mouths on the street corner. 
streetlights, reason for my fears when a man sees us, but maybe also the reason for our safety. Hopefully the streetlights beacon of home and harbor come see how this dusty flickering lamp has room for us, holds us close, will not succumb to the blanket of darkness, will not sleep, will not be anything but loud and hear. I'm afraid. My boyfriend and I walk back from dinner and stay on the well-lit path, but I worry that won't be enough. Still, I will not let this be the sad poem where I fade into the alleys or where my shadow becomes a more central character than me. No, this is a celebration of a mother's wisdom in a curfew of lamplight, of finding the same comfort and safety in a lover's arms, of how he mirrors the wash of dim yellow soaking through the bedroom window. Hallelujah! to a sweet escape from the fear of a stranger's rage or from the midnight fog of my own sick mind. Hallelujah to finding that escape wherever it may lie in the warm breath of fluorescence or in the warm breath of a boy's palms. Either way, hallelujah to these little mimics of sun, small orbits of comfort. Hallelujah to the lighthouses on every corner and the light of a boy's eyes. Hallelujah to the streetlights painting the entire city into a map of my lover's face. Hallelujah to warm blood and the joy of a queer love or at least a small hope of safety for it, however meager. Hallelujah to running away into that safety with a smile and feeling home, if only briefly, fighting back the dark and the sad and the fear and the hate and the depression and the cruel, if only briefly, watch how this city cradles and kisses us in the lamplight and watch me fight for that, for finding joy in whatever brightness may fall on us. Watch me fight and watch me fight and watch me fight and watch me fight and watch me kiss this city back so hard it never stops shining we have happy fans in the audience (laughs) i love it yeah, no, thank you so much. Again, an absolute pleasure. Love it. Thank you. It's been great to have you have your little, um, have your pop culture references. Uh, brings me a lot of joy. Um, yeah, and your strong, like, I guess, uh, well, to be like, no, I know what I like to eat. <laughs> My favorite things. I love it. I love it. Start off strong, especially because you're in Astoria, like in Queens. Queen is like the mecca of all types of food. Oh yeah, we're spoiled. Yeah, so spoiled, so spoiled. Um, But thank you so much. It's been an absolute joy. Um, Can you please tell our audience and everyone else how they can find your work and find you? Um, So you can follow me uh, on Facebook and Instagram at Patrick Roach Poetry or, you know, wherever. Uh, find more information on my website, patrickroachpoetry.com. Uh, and you can find my book, The Socially Acceptable Breakdown, uh, on Button Poetry's website, buttonpoetry.com. And uh, they've just put up, uh, you know, they've got the physical copy, the ebook, and they just put up the audiobook, uh, read by me. So love it. Whatever, whatever way you prefer to enjoy your literature and your books and your poetry, you you have your options. 
I love it. Yes, the book is fantastic. Um, little little snide note: I read the book while taking a bubble bath uh, <laughs> and used YouTube as my own personal audiobook uh, <laughs> to hear you narrate it as I read it. It was uh, a fantastic way to kind of just encapsulate uh, all of it and all the emotions that you portray in it. So, uh, thank you so much for this hour. Thank you for the book. People go out and get it if you haven't already. We may be raffling the one off soon, uh, but that's to come. Best to come. Uh, Patrick Roach, everybody. Thank you know, you. Big Thank love and applause. Thanks so for having me. Thank you. Yeah. Raquel. To be. Wow. Another week. I, f- I feel so um, much more comfortable accepting my mental instability. You know, knowing that we're not alone, you know, and I think that's one of the biggest things around mental health uh, that kind of needs to continue to be broken down uh, that I do believe that a lot of Patrick's work does is just breaking down that idea that like, you're the only person going through things like these, right? Making it more comfortable for people to connect out there. Uh, and to take care of themselves and each other and not feel like you were mentioning the the shame and the stigma of these things that we go through because we're all going through it people yeah we're all we're all okay but we're all also not okay you know and it's also okay to not be okay right yes yeah um no i think that you know we always have like that little person inside us that we're not good enough that we could be doing better um and that's not, you know, don't listen to them. Listen to your <laughs> friends. Let those friends tell you how amazing you are and take your poetry and be like, go do your open mic. <laughs> like, <actually. Right. laughs> Even when your friends are telling you to go expose your most vulnerable feelings in front of a room full yeah. of strangers, they maybe know what they're talking about. <laughs> uh, but, but yes, I, I feel after the day that I've had, I feel very healed, uh, very, very full, very ready and confident to to tally forth as one would say um and to tally forth with we only have two more episodes this season oh, we're know. coming to a close ah wow it's been i was just like thinking about it the other day i was like wow i've been doing this since january with chibi like it's been, it's been a year. Months. it's been 11 months yeah yeah well let's not focus on the end too much we still have two more two more episodes this season um so let's just thank some people and then go. Oh, we talked about food. I'm hungry. I know. I know. Things. Let's go. All right. Well, we want to first say thank you to the audience. We couldn't be here without you. So thank you so much uh, for tuning in every week. If not, listening to us in your you know headphones um, on your way to work or when you're jogging, wherever. Maybe does a pick me up. We really enjoy you and thank you. We could not do the show without you. And make sure that you follow us on Instagram and Twitter at words and so that you can find out about uh, the remaining season surprises we may have in store, what's happening during the off season, what's happening next season, all of that, you know, and then go scroll through. You probably missed a few episodes because there are uh, we've had I think we're up to like 70 uh poets on this show so scroll through and and find some episodes that you missed so don't worry if you miss them because you can still catch them yeah and how you can catch them is by you can watch past episodes on youtube and anywhere you can find your podcast so we are there just google us really we're there (laughs) and we will be here next week uh one more time 
Now one more time, but we will be here next week when we are featuring Kemi Alibi on the show. Super excited. Their debut collection, not only already won a prize, uh, but we'll be dropping next year via Grey Wolf Press. And we can't wait to have them on the show to discuss that project and so much more. Uh, but until then, y'all stay safe out there. Ooh. Bye, y'all. Benicionist.